Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Ladies and gents, welcome back to the podcast. Paul and I are absolutely delighted today to welcome a very, very special guest. We have a prolific multi-instrumentalist, composer, musician, a man who's collaborated with, with real luminaries, including Mike Oldfield, Rick Wakeman, Peter Howarth, Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. I mean, this guy has really, really been around the block. And uh, he's also been a member of 10CC on and off for about 10 times as long as Kevin and Lol. We're thrilled to welcome <laughs> Rick Fenn. How are you doing, Rick? I'm very good. I'm sorry, my chair sounds like it's squeaking a lot. If it's a problem, let me know. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Where are you calling in from uh, today, Rick? What part of Australia? Well, Byron Bay, more or less. I'm actually Where's that? Name. Sorry. Byron Bay. Well, it's a very hip and groovy place mm. on the East Coast, halfway up the East Coast. In fact, it's actually the easterly most point of Australia. Oh, and yeah. Technically, okay. I'm at a place called Bangalore, which is about uh, 10 minutes uh, <coughs> drive out of Byron. Sure. I came here in the, just, just about 21 years ago. I, I came on holiday. A friend of mine built a house here. And he invited us out here. This is Jonathan, my, my wife and I have had a uh, nine-month-old um, daughter, and we came out with a uh, screaming baby. And uh, and uh, I just fell in love with the place. I mean, I've been here a few times. I've toured here. The first time we toured here at Tennessee was 1977. Yeah. And I've been, we've been back once, I think, in that time. And I've also come here with Rick, on tour with Rick Wakeman. And yeah. so I, I always loved the place. I always had a soft spot for it. But it just turned out that in in the year 2000, as you, you aficionados were bound to know, Tennessee was <laughs> very lucky. But, you know, a bit of turmoil after Eric, you know, Eric's last tour was, was 96, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And that was quite a short you know, like a Japan tour and a couple of other little things. So, um, and so it was a little while before I think Graham was comfortable about um, continuing without him. And in fact, for, for, the, for about uh, almost 10 years, everything we did, we sort of did under that kind of, you know, Graham Goulburn's 10cc or 30 years of 10cc. We'd f- find some way of, of uh, I mean, it was, you know, credit to Graham. He, he, he was trying he was, you know, concerned that he, he didn't want to, um, to take the piss. But truth is, we were <laughs> we were doing 10cc music, of course, because that was where the bulk of Graham's um, success was. And we had me and Paul in the band who'd been there for the seventies, and so it just sort of um, after a while, it just became a you know uh, sort of obvious, really. That's whether you like it or not. It was 10cc Mark Three, you know. So. Yeah. Can I start by, by saying that Paul sent me a fantastic YouTube clip a few days ago, um, which has a, a bunch of, of young men, uh, gentlemen, I could say, appearing on a programme hosted by Tony Wilson. And well, you've seen that, yeah. Well yeah, we, we'd love you to talk about that. And, and maybe that was an, an in for you joining the 10cc fold. It, very much so. And... and um, it was a curious situation because this that was the band I was in for. I joined them, I, I left college, I actually went to um, a technical college in Cambridge doing a business studies course. And about the only thing I learned out of that was I didn't want to be a businessman. So I immediately <laughs> fell in with a bunch of reprobates who went by the name Hamilton Gray at the time. And I moved into a house with them and we were all doing that whole sharing our money things banning girlfriends and all the things that were, were supposed to launch us into a meteoric uh, career as, as a pro rock band, which we were. We were quintessential pro rock band. Uh, you know, it, it was good, you know, but it was, uh, you know, it was a bit anal, but it, 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 we were actually, it was, a, it was a good bunch of musicians, really good. And uh, I totally committed to this thing for between 73 and 76. And during that time, we all moved up to um, to Manchester because we'd lost our, uh, the drummer. We, we moved away from the drummer we, we had. And the singer knew a drummer who lived in Manchester. So instead of 
So it's the sort of crazy things you do in those days. We all just up and moved to Manchester because there was a drummer there. <laughs> Why didn't you invite him down? <laughs> it, it, guys, the guy's name was Nigel Piquet, and sadly he, he actually died, I think, in like, 77 from cancer in the head or oh, something. Goodness. Whatever it was, before that happened, we were actually not at all sure about whether he was the right drummer for the band anyway. And we had this, we landed this... Um, so it goes, gig, which is a big break for us, you know. So we didn't really do, mostly we sat around, you know, telling each other how great we were and, and, <laughs> and waiting for the world to discover us. We didn't have any money to, to, to actually finance something as, as ambitious as a prog rock band. Uh, because, you know, the sort of, we always had these visions of massive keyboard rigs and everything being huge. No, absolutely. Uh, Can I just ask you, Rick, it, um, listening to that clip, and, and that is literally my only exposure to gentlemen, it, it reminds me of Bebop Deluxe. Was that was that in your palette of influences? I do you know, maybe it was a little. Life is a lovingly narcissistic, with manicured points of interest. Darling, you're all made up. The people that we looked up to more than anything else was Yes and and Genesis. Mm. They were the kind of the people that we used to really worship. Same here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, they were, and there was a few other people, Gentle Giant, and we were very, um, perhaps a little bit more pretentious. You know, we we do we do things for complexity's sake and stuff. But in amongst it all, there was some really good stuff, and and um, uh, and I, I didn't mention the fact that we changed our name to Gentleman about halfway through that period. So we were by the time this sort of thing, we were called Gentleman, and it just happened that. We were very. Un we felt we needed a better drum, and um, the singer met just run, met Paul. You know, to this day, I, I don't remember where he met him, but he met Paul Burgess, who was uh, just around that time had been, been sort of promoted, if you like, in ten CC to the to the drummer of, of the uh, you know, recording drummer in the band, and uh, and he seemed very like the idea of doing this sort of show with us, and we rehearsed with him a, a couple of times. He seemed to really like what we were doing, like you know, and we got me and Paul got on really well. Embarrassingly, in the end, we got the jitters, and I think Paul knows this, but we just got the jitters that we needed. It was a very complicated piece of music we playing, and we 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 also we had a bit of a, um, a conscience problem about doing it without Nigel Piquet. So we ended up doing it with him anyway. And the guy you see on the, on the clip was actually Nigel, and. Uh, it's a it's a testament, I think, to Paul's um, what a good guy Paul was that he wasn't offended by this, and and he took because the, the other thing we'd done of any significance we did the uh, we were uh, special on a, the Alan Freeman show, the, you know the the, um, the the radio show yeah. on radio, and and it was quite a big special, and there was like a twenty minute clip, you know, and we went into the BBC and we recorded three songs, which was the best recordings we'd ever actually done. They wow. were. Um, uh, it was, and so that became our our calling card, really, and that's indeed how we ended up getting the Stoic Goers thing. But it was also the thing that Paul took away with him the uh, the um, the recordings of of, of the gentleman band off off there, and uh, and it was those recordings that actually uh, he he played to Eric and Graham uh, when the situation when they were looking for new blood, and. Um, and so in spite of the fact that, uh, that Paul didn't do the TV with us, but he rehearsed with us and, and I think we had a good relationship, but he, he just sort of came out blue about, I can't remember, not, we moved back to Cambridge again uh, soon after this programme. And uh, and I just got the, the call from, from Paul saying, you know, I think this is probably towards the end of 76. Hmm. He'd said he pr proposed this and they really liked the recordings. And, it, you know, it's hard to believe really, because I mean, I, I was a, I was a penniless musician, and fortunately for me, the gentleman band was on its knees. We were really got to the end of our tether, really. Mm. And I was very devoted and loyal. And to be honest with you, if, if nine months before, I would probably have actually turned down the job with NCC. I was that stupid. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, I was a huge NCC fan. One of the one of the bands we used to listen to, in particular, I remember. Sheet music was was one of those one of those albums that you put on to test your hi-fi, you know, literally. Yes. And uh, we we loved it. So I, I was a dedicated fan. I remember sure. when I was in Manchester, 
going into uh, Piccadilly Radio where we do the odd session and uh, as musicians and uh, we had a friend in there and he took us in there one day, he took us into a control room and said, God, listen to this, God, listen to this. And he saw, so we sat down in this, this fabulous uh, room with the sound system from hell and played us some Night Love. Hmm. You know, and of course, we felt I just, you know, what we are not worthy. We were, we were all, I was, you know, completely, um, it was, it was, it couldn't really, I couldn't really believe that I, that I, that I was being offered up for NTC and that they were, you know, they were gung ho about it. Uh, yeah. But it, it took a little while, it took a few months before I actually came in to do what the audition, well, I suppose it was an audition, but to be perfectly honest with you, it, it felt more like a kind of a, just a little, noodle really it's, it was a, I don't you know I know they were considering other people at some point but I, I got the feeling that I that at, uh, you know it was almost a fait accompli which was in, you know at that uh, initial session were the rest of the touring band already in place uh, like Stuart and Tony O'Malley at that point or was it actually no at, at that point that's when they all came that's what I mean that that's okay. that's what I mean by the fact that it was almost like a given I, it was already my job you know because uh, we we all set up at the same time at the at um, at Strawberry South. You know, we all okay. well, Stuart Castro arriving in his Rolls Royce, and <laughs> Tony O'Malley on his bicycle, or something. <laughs> <laughs> and we just went in and just jammed. No, and actually, no. To tell the truth, the night before this, I came down and stayed in, in a hotel in Dorking. And and I went along with Paul uh, to uh, to the um, what was actually the filming of the um, uh, uh, Good Morning Judge video. <laughs> okay. Was Graham was Graham wearing a wig at the time then? And honestly, it was hilarious because it was Good Morning Judge, and and also they were doing uh, um, People, People in Love. love. Even love people, sorry. That's right. But at the time, uh, when I actually walked in, Eric and Graham were all dressed up in, in a variety of all those costumes. <laughs> right. Made up the nines and wigs and silver costumes. So, so that was my first meeting with them. <laughs> uh, but, and then I, don't, I remember at that time I sat down and, and played some piano for them and it just, you know, because we just started talking about what I do and I obviously have a little bit of piano going on. So I demonstrated that. But then the next day when we all ga gathered in Strawberry South, uh, it was with, with uh, uh, Stuart and, um, and Tony, and we just went in and had a little jam. Mm. And, and that was it. And in fact, I remember think, thinking, because uh, obviously vocals are a really, really important part of fantasy, you know, you know that. And, um, and they just said, you can sing, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. God bless them. They, they, they took me on. I think we got on well. They liked me, I think. They must have liked yeah. what I can do on the guitar. But nevertheless, I think it was uh, quite quite remarkable that, that, uh, that I wasn't put through a more gruelling uh, audition process. No, I'm absolutely... I'm gobsmacked by that, Rick, and especially what we know about Eric and, and how what a... Uh, what a painstaking taskmaster uh, he, he seemed to be, certainly from what we've heard. That's incredibly casual, isn't it? So you, so you weren't given a, a brief or anything, like, for example, and apologies in advance for any cheeky questions we ask today, but you weren't given a brief like um, being the new lol cream or anything like that. There was nothing cr crazy and specific oh. like that. No, it was much... It was much more. Um, no, it, you, it, it, there was nothing required of us other than just be, be what we do. Um, and of course, you know, very magnanimously, and, and I mean it. You know, it was, inc it was incredibly magnanimous to actually invite us all in as as members. I mean, it wasn't like we were all on the same split room, but we we were proper members. You know, we were all keep earning members, and we uh, and the album covers and all the promotional material was all six of us. It wasn't like Eric Graham up the front. I mean, the things did change, as as you know, but yeah. this is how the, how the initial Mark II band was presented to the world. And uh, again, I, I, I eternally thank Eric and Graham for, for their, for, for doing that. You know, that was incredibly magnanimous. And, mm. uh, and, you know, it, it was, it, for me, it was, it really was, my life turned around completely because, 
I was actually just about to get married, not, not to my Heather, my current wife, but my, my first wife. And I think I got married about three weeks after this audition. And I did, you know, we, I didn't have two pennies thrown together, really. And, and uh, so it was, and, and the next minute I was in a band with the number one, you know, the things you do for love had just been number two. And, and uh, the morning toast was flying up the charts. Um, and the, and we were all booked in to do a big UK tour, an Australian tour. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was extraordinary, extraordinary time for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about that first gig, which I... Uh, where, where was the first gig with the, with the six-piece 10cc? Can you remember? Glasgow Apollo. Right. Have you ever heard of that or have you been there, Glasgow Apollo? Not been there, Never but been. Certainly, certainly know of it. it <laughs> it's, it's known for the fact that the stage is... There's a, there's a kind of at least a nine, ten-foot drop off the stage. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then protect musicians against marauding assassinates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, and, and I think it, this was a real um, baptism of fire, this gig, because um, I think Eric and Graham were very conscious of that. Glaswegians tell you what they think. Then, <laughs> you know, well known for hurling things that, uh, that musicians that didn't live up to their, their standards. So, uh, you know, it was a it was a very exciting event for all of us, that gig. And and it went off really, really well, you know. And the, the other thing that Eric Graham decided to do at that point was to make a pretty sharp uh, separation from uh, from Kevin Lowell. And, and it was brave in a way because Kevin Lowell was such an important part of the band. I mean, you know, please know that I was a huge fan of the original band and I have massive respect for what those four incredible minds brought about and so it was it was a it was a um, bold move to you know not play any of the songs that sang that lol sang yeah and virtually nothing that they wrote in fact no i don't think anything they wrote there was one i think one on the on the live album rick you you get setting sitting for the last supper oh, yeah, which i right. think they, i uh, think is the the only credit isn't it for any of their work on that album the only one that is actually the only song that the forum wrote together yes. was credited to the world. And that's right, we did do that. Another fish head in the dustpan Having 
the other guys who just pitched in and you know what must have been what <laughs> I mean in the end the, the, so many of them fell out with each other I, I suppose there must have been you know um, it must have been quite a fiery time but that's what you sort of expect from four great creative minds you know? yeah 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 but I think what came out of it was an amazing chemistry you know and I don't think we ultimately are able to live up to that yeah, yeah not, but, not, but, not writing, but you, I mean, in in a live setting, the original foursome had a bit of a kind of. Lowell uh, was obviously a great front man in that he had a great rapport with the crowd, but they almost seemed a little bit self consciously humorous on stage. Uh, it was I don't want to use the word slick for Ten C Mark Two because that is not that's not appreciating what you guys brought. But it, it's just it had more balls basically. It rocked a lot harder. And it was a lot deeper and, uh, uh, yeah, as a live band, Mark II, I mean, when I went back to listen to uh, Live and Let Live or Live and Let Live, um, how do you pronounce that, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Didn't it, was it Live and Let Live? It's supposed to be Live and Let Live. Is it? Right, ah, okay. okay. Yeah. We know uh, this is, the, the, the debate has raged on for a couple of years on that one. Thank you, Rick. No, terrific. And then, so, and then you went on to start work on Bloody Taurus, mm. of course. Um, although, let's go back a bit. I believe, Rick, your first um, time in the studio with, with the band was the Dr Pepper ad, is that right? in Strawberry North. Um, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, curious, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great little track, actually, don't you think? I think it was pretty good. You know, I mean, Eric and Graham just did it. I just was potted and I just came in and did what I was told. But it was great fun. <laughs> um, and, and then the next actual thing we recorded was Dreadlock. Hmm. Yeah, what, what a start, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, but I tell you what, recording a bloody tourist was was so much fun. We were still on, we were on such a high, you know, because everything, had, everything, all the touring we'd done through Europe and um, England and Australia was, is all everything was sold out, you know. It's just, it was just like we couldn't put foot wrong, you know. So going in to do, uh, to do bloody tourist was very upbeat. We were, we were, we were a happy crew at that time. You know? Very it really so. it comes across. I mean, uh, Bloody Tourists is an album that, when I look back, I've listened to possibly more than any other 10CC album. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best 10CC album, but it's it has got a very uh, a, a wonderful vibe to it, and it's it's a great collection of pop songs, and that enthusiasm really cuts through. I agree. It's a different, don't, don't you think, Sean? I do, and um, I gave. Bloody Tourists a bit of a hard ride, Rick, on a podcast we did about 18 months ago. I was hungover, uh, so that's going to be my main <laughs> excuse. I listened to it again this morning, actually, and I think, it, for me, it's the last great 10cc album. You were talking about the chemistry that Kevin Loll and, and, and the foursome brought, but I really feel a similar kind of chemistry happening with Bloody Tourists. It's very much the product of six individuals or more. Um, there's colour... There's fun. There's a real depth and variety to the material, and and you, you you're beginning to see um, you other members coming in as, as songwriters as well, and I think that's a really refreshing change. Well, I hope we brought some something uh, new, but it, you know it's amazing when when you are happy and upbeat and feeling positive about your future as a band. It's a, it's amazing how that just comes comes out. It's not amazing actually. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Amount like that, and and it and it was in stark contrast to uh, to, to the energy of, of the Look Here album, which yeah. of course was on the back of the terrible tragedy that that 
completely tripped the band up at full gallop, you know. Sure. sure. Well, we'll, I mean, we'll come on to that, but we'd, we'd like to dig into Bloody Taurus before we leave it, uh, if that's okay. Um, am I right in thinking you actually played quite a lot of keyboards on that because it was a while before Duncan Mackay was brought into the setup during the recording? Is that, is that right? Or was he already there at the start? On Dreadlock, for instance, um, everyone did everything. You know, there was no rules about who can who can do what. So I didn't do, didn't do lots of keyboards. I did maybe a bit. Duncan okay. came in. I think we must have been about three or four numbers in. Duncan was actually a bloke I'd met at a party hmm. uh, somewhere in London, and I, I I really he really impressed me, and. Uh, and so I, I actually recommended him for, for the gig and he came down to the studio. Okay. <laughs> and well, he had the same effect on everyone. And then the next thing you know, he was literally, he was just joined, joined us in the studio. And he went, we went back to the dreadlock and did quite a lot of the overdubs as well. Oh, okay. I did do some keyboards. I also did some saxophone. On the yeah, album. I noticed that. The, the dorking horns, that's you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my lovely Norma Mark VI that some that um, a saxophone player finally talked me into selling him, which I wish I hadn't. The saxophone was just one of your, your the many instruments in your musical arsenal, Rick. Were you trained as a saxophonist? I'm not a dreadful saxophone player. <laughs> I can, I can, I can, I've done a few things... Uh, uh, you know, of my own stuff that I that I never listen to. I think, fuck, I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that, am I? Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. lots of swearing because we, we interviewed Kevin quite a few times, and he swears like a I, trooper. He so does. Like he does. <laughs> yeah, Rick, you're you're responsible for my very favourite bit on on Bloody Tourists. Actually, um, there's that wonderful synth solo on you and I. Uh, and I, and there's a, a bit where you've you got that which I think is you, it, it says on the credits, and there's a lovely bit of lead guitar as well, so it's kind of like the Rick Fenn show. It's marvellous. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Things divvied up very... Um, Naturally, you know, there was no kind of sense of, oh, I want to do that. But, you know, it's just, um, you know, look, there's no question about it. Eric and Graham were uh, the bosses and exactly as they should have been. And Eric was the man in the drive, really in the driving seat, as he always had been. Uh, but there was, beyond that, it was incredibly democratic, you know. And uh, and if you had any idea, you can always, always free to try it out, you know. But, uh, yep. I want to ask another question about that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. How did it How did it feel to um, make your 10cc writing debut with uh, Last Night? Last night, you know you really, really made me appreciate my life. Was that, was uh, that, that must have been a proud moment. It, well, it certainly was. I mean, it, um, I, in fact, I, I had a go with writing with Eric, but we didn't get very far with it. You know, I'm sure eventually we probably would have, I'm sure, I'm sure eventually I would have written them, but I was relatively new to writing. So, and Graham was very, very easy to, uh, to sort of help me make that leap. I had, I had, you know, done some, but really songwriting was something that was relatively new to me. And, um, and Graham and I wrote, I think about three, we did that other, we wrote another uh, song Called kid that um, never ended up on, on an album. Can I just treat us to a little, a little bit of a burst of that? You'd be pleased to know that the wonderful David Jarvis, uh, who we're in contact with all the time, keeps treating us to these little goodies, um, and uh, he is he has sent over some amazing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Shades of Animal Olympics there, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, we love Animal Olympics, um, yeah, me too. And, and we'd like to kind of dip our toes in into that one. What can you tell us about Acapulco Kid, Rick? Why wasn't it on, on the album? I think they just, in the end, there was just too many tracks, you know. And 
so it was just put on the back burner and, and then everything changed but um, yeah, yeah it, it was it was I, I thought that was a good song and <laughs> I mean those are the days when demos are real demos you know when which is a shame because we that's the best recording we ever had out of it and so we did a couple of other other little ones as well but in the end you know there was the priorities were just there was a big machine rolling the 10 PC machine and uh, I was you know uh, it was great that they actually allowed us into the writing uh, you know, situation with him. I think it was very noble of him. It was all a pop of it. And, and I, I wrote a bit more on, on Rock Here. I actually wrote a song of my own, as you, I'm sure you all know. Yeah. Um, One last question about Bloody Taurus, Rick. If, uh, was it intentionally a concept album about travelling? Did that did, did that happen retrospectively? Did it not happen at all? Or did you know at the time you were writing all these songs about going places? I think it just ended up, it just it surfaced as a kind of a bit of a theme. I wouldn't say that we, we started it with that. I don't think the, the we didn't have the name, but right. the tourists, we were quite a long way in, I don't think. So, yeah, it just it just surfaced as a, as a sort of uh, recurrent theme, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I've always liked it because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like a prog concept album. It's just a, a thread to tie a lot of the songs together. You've even got like time travel with old Mr. Time, which I always mm. thought was quite clever, although mm -hmm. maybe completely accidental. I don't know. I think it probably was. I don't think it, we, we didn't try and jemmy anything into that. Yeah, sure. I think it was just that, the, that it was a recurring uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> You alluded to look here and, and and the sort of stark difference in mood that 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 seems to pervade it, Rick. Um, and you mentioned Eric's horrific accident. Can you talk us through um, th th those difficult times uh, from you know tipping from the late seventies into nineteen eighty? Yeah, soon. Yeah, soon after the new year, and we we all got this call. You know that's what had happened to Eric, and it was. Uh, yeah, it's like being hit by a train, really. Mm. Uh, and, and for a long time, we weren't—we really weren't sure how bad, how bad he was—he uh, was um, hurt. So there was, a, you know, there was a question mark, a really big question mark hanging over us: whether or not he was ever going to become come good enough to 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 start start going again. Um, and, and of course, you know, Bam was was huge at that time. So and. Uh, Graham, being the man that he is, he likes to work. He, things came in, offers came in all the time. And an Olympic thing, uh, a very good example on that. Um, um, sunburn was another thing he got asked to do, and he used to, he used all of the guys in the band um, for that. Certainly, the sunburn. I'm not sure if everyone played on Animal Olympics. I was certainly there for the whole thing. Mm. Um, and and you know, in my opinion. Uh, it, it was completely valid uh, uh, that, that Graham carried on working. There may, may have been a bit of a, a bit of a um, controversy about Sunburn, which I think Graham and Harvey re really wanted to um, just capitalise on the back of, of the dreadlock holiday success. That he wanted to get something else out, ten C product. Um, but Graham, uh, sorry, Eric on his Austin hospital bed was was not keen. Well, I think he was probably right. I don't know if Sunburn was, was a 10cc song, but um, unfortunately, I think Graham, uh, Eric developed some resentment towards Graham for, for working and doing things that, you know, with his uh, creating his own profile, so to speak, through, through it all. But really, I, I don't see what, what we could be expecting to do, especially when we didn't really know. We just didn't know what the future was, no. Uh, but it, it I wasn't entirely privy to, to some of the sour sourness that was sort of um, building up between them. But clearly, um, when Eric did come back, he wasn't. It took him a, a long time to come good, you know, really come good. And to start with, I think he was very shaky. But he, you know, he was, he was probably trying to trying to uh, avoid making that. Um, you know, he, he was try, trying to cover it up, I think, a bit, to be honest with you, how, 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 uh, how, how um, injured he, he, he was, how, the, how much of a shake-up the whole thing was. Um, 
And so there was, when we got together to do Look Here, you didn't feel that there was, everything was, all, all the cards were on the table somehow, you know. There was, um, there was a bit of bitterness that, that just sort of brewed between the two of them. And I think that affected their writing, to be honest with you, because I, I don't know if they re ever really resolved that. that um, and, and Eric then went off and, and wanted to do a film score as well, like with girls. And um, I, I don't know whether he had someone to prove, I, I, I don't know, but it, it somehow found its way into the general atmosphere within the band. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. we tried yeah. to move it through, but, you know, it, it, just, it just sat there. Even though I, th I think there were some, some really good songs, but I don't know if we invested them with the same. And I don't think, I don't think Eric was quite up to the task that he had, as he normally did. He was such a world-class engineer. Yeah. Had, you know. And I think he, he was struggling a little bit. He had one of his ears what wasn't, wasn't working properly. Um, but he wasn't. He didn't. He didn't come and say, "Sorry, guys." You know, he would try and. He. he I think he would just try and disguise us, and I think that um, ended up. We, we paid a price for that. People say that I'm crazy. They've got no business to talk. I'll take a chance with you, baby. Thank you for that. That's a, that's a, a, a wonderful summary. Very honest too. Look here does come across as a as a joyless record, Rick. But which is a shame because musically there are some really fantastic moments. I, I'm particularly fond of the intro to Welcome to the World, where you come across like dare I say it, gentleman meets yes. Um, <laughs> it, it's got to be the proggiest moment in the 10cc canon, hasn't it? Yeah, actually, yeah, it's because it, that was me and Duncan, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the, you know, let's face it, there was still a bit of a hangover from the, <laughs> the prog rock days, even though, um, you know, the Sex Pistols has smashed most prog rock. <laughs> at this point. Did I mention, by the way, the, the rather amusing anecdote that the Sex Pistols were on the same? So that's the clip you saw of a gentleman on so. Yeah. Was, um, were you there at the same? Were you there at the same time? That 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 you want? You were in the So It Goes studio at the same day. Great. I'm it sorry. Was, please. Was, this is quite funny. So I might as well tell you this story. Yeah, do, um, do. You know, there we were, gentlemen, uh, thinking that at last we've made it. You know, we're on television. <laughs> the world is our oyster. We are suddenly going to get raised up to the you know higher echelons of prog rock, British prog rock, and. In the corner was just some skulking teenagers <laughs> sitting and, you know, swearing. Because <laughs> no one had heard of Sex Pistols then, you know. So, and and they were the, the, literally the, the absolute total anathema to everything that we stood for, you know. And yeah. we were the total anathema of everything they stood for. <laughs> so it was, a, it was an explosive situation. <laughs> and... It, and I remember, I'm afraid it was my fault, really. I, I was, I was so we watched them, them doing their bit, you know, um, and, and we were in the green room afterwards, and there they were for the general, you know, sitting around their own vomit in the corner, and um, <laughs> and I just couldn't help myself go up and, and confront dear Johnny um, and tell him what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Whereupon he told me what he thought, and. Um, <laughs> And it was, we didn't actually have a punch-up, but it was always like, I'll be back, I'll be back. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. Oh, really? can, you, can you remember specific, specific words, Rick? That would be hilarious. I, can't remember, I really can't remember exactly how I put it, but I, was, I didn't hold any punches, nor did he, <laughs> nor would you expect him to. Bakunin would have loved it. I was Sex Pistols, the leaders in their field. And all three of the bands tonight, without recording contracts, yet playing music in their own fields a lot better than most bands with recording contracts. 
That's amazing. That is a fabulous story. That, that you now I've found that... dining out on this story, you know, that, as if <laughs> yeah. you know, the great uh, actor uh, nearly had a punch up with Johnny Rotten. And of course, little did we know, <laughs> far from our meteoric rise to, uh, to international stardom, gentlemen disappeared without a trace, along with most of pro rock. And, um, you know, within a week, Sex Pistols were bigger than the Beatles. So <laughs> yeah. it was a bit of a wake-up call. Yeah. But the, uh, actually, the Sex Pistols are terrific on that So It Goes show. I mean, they're, they're a great rock band. I mean, well, that's what, that's what I think. I know they're a bit rough around the edges, but, you know, Matlock and Jones are, t- are terrific musicians, I think. Well, looking back at it now, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm much more tolerant of the of that whole movement uh, and now I, I i mean i don't i don't go and put their record on but yeah you know I, I can see that what they were doing even though most of the guys in the band weren't actually playing on the right on the records but nevertheless yeah. as a, so they were they were kind of pawns in a in a in a, in a, in a game really they were being they were being Rick, I want to read. I want to read you a quote from the, one of the YouTube comments on that clip, which you might find amusing. There's always somebody who likes your stuff. Somebody wrote the first band, and they're talking about Gentlemen, was exactly like the Strokes, decades ahead of their time. No. Mm. Oh. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you were a punk at heart. Fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. If I, I mean, it's interesting because you know, I don't know about you. Have you experienced it like this? But the legacy of that, of everything that came with with, the, with punk, was it actually became um, being able to play your instrument actually became a disadvantage. I think for a lot of, for a lot of English musicians, not American yeah. musicians, and of course, within a not long, not not a very long period, America had leapt ahead of English music because at that point we dominated. We dominated the American charts, you know, a little country, but we we dominated. Mm. But it became uh, being able to play play your instrument, in, instrument competently. I think almost became a, a kind of a, it worked against you because the, the legacy of punk was very much had to be crude and raw, and then that hung around the music industry for a long time. Um, maybe it's still a little bit. Maybe it still does. Oh, interesting, and that's that's just counterintuitive, it's, it, isn't it's it? It's true. I mean, look at the police. You know, they were great musicians and deliberately dumbed themselves down to sort of. You know, initially to act like punks you know Andy Summers was thrashing his guitar rather than playing all these but once they had their foot in the door I guess they they, they sort of allowed their musicianship to flower a bit it's an amazing time isn't it? it it was a very bizarre time and and difficult for us hardened prog rockers you know yeah yeah then when I went off you know I know I'm leaping ahead of it but when I went off and toured with them well Oldfield and Wakeman were both kind of tired with that <laughs> rushed Particularly Wakeman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, at the time I was touring with him, he, you could tell that was really, he was really suffering from the effects of punk, you know, what it right. did to the credibility of, of pro rock. Mm. Not so much with Mike Oldfield, but, uh, uh, but yeah. So, but Tennessee weren't quite so badly hit, I think, because it wasn't, we weren't exactly pro rock, we were thinking man's pop, really, but <laughs> uh, we did. We did well, except really for the, the, the sort of the, the hangover of, of what happened. The, the, the car accident, anyone on the band will tell you, you know, that, that car accident, it was that it literally it felt like you'd been tripped up full gallop because we, everything was going like we couldn't have put a foot wrong. You know, yes. we're just going to do this. We'd been asked to do this thing with ABBA where we were going to do a worldwide show with, with them, you know. Uh, uh, which was, you know, a, a huge thing. And, you know, it's incredible to think that 20 years later we were, you know, <laughs> we were doing festivals with ABBA tribute bands above us on the bill. Oh. <laughs> now that we've made it, we've made it to the top. Now that we've made it, we ain't never gonna stop. Now that we've made it, we've made it right let's just go back to 1979 if we can and and the musically i think that was a 
in some ways a great year what Graham was doing and it's very easy to see it in hindsight I suppose but I mean what would one expect Graham to do he was so driven he was really on fire at that point you couldn't expect him to sit on his hands yeah. and you know, he had a great band at his disposal you know the, and the five of you made some 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 great music I, I think I mean particularly Animal Olympics which is again a, a wonderfully spirited collection of songs that incredibly uplifting and yeah for me animal olympics is kind of the polar opposite of look here in that it's full of there's real joy in the grooves it, it was a very joyful time and, and it, it was there's a sort of simplicity about about the, the, the songs yeah it was graham really getting to flex his own muscle i mean he, he wrote uh, he wrote all you know we didn't get involved in in that side of it but i, I remember it I remember it being a very enjoyable time recording it. It was really good. So in a way, that was the last time when that sort of happy vibe prevailed. Mm. You know, it came back in later years. Eric Graham seemed to find peace, although that came and went. Um, but the problem is the hits didn't. And of course, that eventually started eroding the... Um, the sense of optimism and, 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 the, and, and then, you know, that's the further down, down the track. Got me drinking, even got me smoking, got me sinking, nearly got me choking. What do you do in the morning? What do you do in the morning when I'm gone? Hmm. I love those harmonies there. You, you spent a lot of time layering up those harmonies for a demo. Lovely. I think that was only just me and Graham. I think I did two. Yeah, it sounds like three parts altogether. That's you singing that bit, got me drinking nearly, got me choking yeah. in there. That's right. Which I do on the right on the. Yeah, record. yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Did, so, which bit, did you write that bit or was it just a sort of 50 50 collaboration? I think I can honestly say we really did write those together. It, Lyric and music, right. you know, it's the way I'm used to writing as a rule, yeah. generally. Even though, funnily enough, recently I've indulged in trying to, you know, write lyrics to someone else's music and stuff. But uh, mm. that's always struck me as the most constructive way to write is to if, you, if you're both involved in both, because then the lyrics can bounce off the music, the music can bounce off the lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember, right, it's writing with Graham seemed to come pretty easy. And I said, and, and uh, Dave sent me a couple of demos that I had completely forgotten about that I'd done with, with um, Graham. They sounded like they were done in my place, which was really crude. Everything was crude in those days, didn't it? What were those demos of, Rick, that, that Dave sent that, that would have been presumably done in Strawberry, but it would have been literally done just... It's weird, because nowadays no one does demos. I think we had that conversation before. Did, mm. You know, demos are just masters that, that, that aren't masters. Yeah, <laughs> and you could capture something. I mean, that demo sounds great. It really brings out the, the kind of country roots of the song, I think, uh, yeah. which, you know, may be submerged a bit with the, the finished version. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great song. I, I think Eric in his book said he didn't particularly didn't like those songs that were a bit more personal and downbeat, you know, on Look Here, uh, like I Hate to Eat Alone, I think he disliked, and I think he also disliked that one. I don't know whether you remember anything about that, whether he just didn't want to get involved with those songs, or was it? Um, I don't remember having, him having a, um, a negative opinion like that. I, okay. he, you know, the, the, I, I, hate, I Hate to Eat Alone, I think, was describing, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. And, um, and that was a new that was new territory, I think, for Eric and Graham. Um, and I think I might have said last time there was some there was some delicate emotions going on around that time. And what um, it, it was unprecedented, really, Graham coming in and writing songs on his own. Well, not unprecedented because it happened with Rochdale, <laughs> uh, but that was one of the first times it had happened. And uh, you know, it, it may it, that may have coloured. That may have coloured uh, Eric's opinion a little bit. It's hard for me to say. But uh, I mean, what was more actually fun enough? We're talking about look, uh, look here now. But uh, I do remember when we did last night on for, for Bloody Tourists, 
that actually the demo we had for that would have been very different from the original, from the, from the final master one. God knows when, if you ever come across the demos for that. <laughs> they, they would have been very different because when we came to do it in the studio, we changed it quite radically. We, it was much more, um, was much more dreamy. Okay. The original concept was much dreamier. Then we turned this dang, dang, dang. Yeah. Oh, how interesting! Well, but we will, we'll, in, we'll endeavour to to rattle the cage of Mr. Jarvis on that one. I think. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, he, he's he's so obliging. Um, let, let's throw one more curio at you, uh, Rick. This one's really strange, but I, there's something about it I really like. Um, so it's a bit of interesting twiddling, shall we say? Um, and the, the the last couple of seconds of it are really intriguing and I hope you can sort of shine some light it's from Strawberry South I think um, but I don't know exactly when uh, possibly late 70s Yeah, so the, the f just the final couple of seconds, I'll play it again. There's a vocal on there, isn't there? Is that Eric? It sounds more like That is a strange piece, isn't it, Rick? Any, any memories? I, I completely disown it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me on the guitar, I can tell you. Right, okay. Um, it, it, say, it had a slightly resembled some of the sort of very early uh, Stuart guitar sounds, but I don't, I, it, it doesn't sound very good to me. <laughs> to I, th I think you've answered the question. If, it, if it's not you, then understandably you won't be able to yeah. tell us anything about it. We the, weren't sure. No, the, the guitar sound, the, the guitar sound seems to be that kind of the lovely uh, DI uh, sound that, that Eric and Law used to use, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Back in the really um, early albums, but, um, if it's Eric, I don't know anything about it. Uh, I, don't, I honestly, it's, it's possible that I was in there somewhere, but it's, <laughs> it doesn't. Say, it sounds pretty naff to me. Honestly, <laughs> it sounds like an, it sounds like an improv uh, improvisation. Really. Yeah, I think they're, they're testing out an effect really, and and sort of turn, yeah. turning up the feedback on the delay to eleven. Um, yeah, yeah, We were reading in, in Liam's wonderful book, uh, Rick, which I think you've read, haven't you? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, he, he, he um, goes into a lot of fabulous detail about all corners of the 10cc story. But what can you tell us about what happened later in, in 1980? Didn't the band kind of almost kind of disintegrate? Yes, I think <clears throat> after the look here, um, Failed to get a hit, a hit, because um, we we were still pulling them in. We did um, the UK tour. Was we still did Wembley Arena and NEC and places like that? Took two nights or maybe three nights. I can't remember. So we were still, and I think we were getting, but we weren't filling it. We're pretty close, 80, 90 percent. But um, you know, you've it, it was a dark. Uh, shadow over us that we hadn't got the hit because that never happened. You know, NCC always got it, and it also, you know, highlighted the fact that perhaps we hadn't seriously ha had to consider before was that NCC is a sort of band unlike the Floyd or, or Moody Blues or somewhere where people aren't waiting for the albums; they're waiting for the single. If the albums sell on the back of the, the singles, and the, which is the way it is for a lot of people, but that certainly was the way it was for us. So look here album sales suffered quite badly you know you can go into a lot of denial about it at the time because you you know well make it get it right next time but uh i think eric and graham must have there was all sorts of shit going on with them with the studio and which hadn't turned out to be a music a, a commercial success and uh i think they felt the need to reconsider 
the political structure of the brain. And um, which I think was not unreasonable of them, to be honest with you. I mean, they probably should have done it that way in the first place, you know, just taken and made them themselves 10TC and, and brought people in as more jobbing players. I wouldn't have blamed them. A lot of people were doing that around that time, sort of tears for fears type, <clears throat> you know, the core and a, and a band. That was becoming quite a, quite a common and, and popular form. And they could have done that in the first place. Credit to them for not. But that when they did choose to um, change the politics of the band, it, yeah, it was a blow for us, of course. You know, we had to, we had to, it was a demotion, if you like, but it was still something, you know, by then my, my heart was very much in the band. I wanted to be, I wanted to be there, whatever. And, uh, and in it, the trouble, unfortunately, I don't think it actually really worked for Graham as a, as a policy to try and put things, get things right. As we all know, they're still, never quite worked it. All the subsequent albums had also some great moments, but it never quite got us back to that point where we had, well, we never really had another proper hit single after that. And, and, and so and we more and more playing on, you know, playing on, uh, uh, on, on the back of the old hit catalogue. Yes. Of course, of course. And I suppose we've got to be philosophical and say this happens to most bands, doesn't it, really? Um, but with 10 out of 10 in, in 81, it feels almost like a, a return to form in, in some ways, I think, because there, there is a, a bit of that fun and a bit of the spark. How come you were only on two of those tracks, Rick? 10 out of 10? Mm. I thought I was on that, wasn't I? I think, don't, don't ask... Um, and uh, there's another demo. Can I just play you a, a brief snippet of a demo? Has someone ever dragged you out of the woodwork and taken all the sleep from your eyes? Made you stand up and take a look in the mirror, shake up all your It's really nice, isn't it? It's great. I really, it was almost like hearing it for the first time. But I, I recognised the old Giffin my guitar. Oh, bless it! Which I still use to this day. On I just to ask you, what happened to that? That what you displayed me? It became, became Action Man in Motown suit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's curious because I haven't listened to these albums quite a while. Actually, I used to have them all, and I lost them. I just actually haven't listened to them. I must check that out again. Actually. <laughs> perhaps um, perhaps we can get David to send you a little uh, a little playlist, Rick, of some of these goodies. What do you reckon? Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, there's a there's a lovely uh, moment actually, and I, I'm kind of indulging in in Dave's record collection here. Check this out. Check out the middle eight of this demo. It's very interesting because Eric mentions you by name and mentions your guitar by name. of Mr. Rick Fan and his amazing Geffen guitar. Except that his guitar's not there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but no, I was on quite a lot of that album. And I certainly, we certainly did a lot of vocals sessions together. We did a lot of them up in Strawberry North, actually, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, but we, uh, I can't remember what, what I'm credited for, but... Um, Certainly, that thing you played before—that was definitely me. Um, uh, but uh, it, it was more because basically, what happened is when the politics of the band changed, Eric and Graham went in, wrote, and then and they started recording. So then we, so when we came to play on the albums, it was very much piecemeal. We would come in on a sort of session basis. But I remember doing quite a lot on, on that album, and, I, and that, that album was pretty good. I think. Yeah. That, just remind me, I should know this across the world. Is that the one Steve Gerd played on? It, it, it? No, no, that's, that's the following one. That's Windows in the Jungle. That's the next one along. That's had a yeah. wires crossed from it, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think that that was ten out of ten was probably the the last of the of, of the sort of real Mark II albums, really. Even though it wasn't, there was no no one else got involved in the writing or anything. I think we it was the same band, wasn't it? I think I don't know. I don't know. Yes, ten out of ten. Well, you, by that stage, Vic Emerson yes. was coming in. I think Mark Jordan played on it as well. So it was. Yeah, Mark played. played he played some of the stuff on, on Animal Olympics. He's a lucky player. Mark. Yeah. Yeah, there were there was a few people uh, creeping in, but not as much as they did in the future. Which mm. I don't know what you think. But, uh, yes, that's no, right. it, it does still feel like that. The, almost the core, doesn't it, of the of the of your band? It was what was the single that came off that album? Uh, Don't turn me away. That was the lead. That was the lead single, which I personally think was one of the weaker tracks on the album. But that's yeah. obviously what they decided to go with. But. I remember seeing why I ended up seeing it. A clip of us doing it on Pebble Mill or something. That's like that. right. Yeah, that's going around <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> and I remember thinking, it mm, wasn't wasn't our best moment, really. <laughs> Eric Stewart and Graham Goldman. There's a, there's a, there's a clip where the, uh, you're on Swap Shop doing that and Don't Ask, which sounds much better to my, to my ears as a, as a lead. Yeah. Did, that was, was that released as a single as well? I think it, no, I don't think it was, Sean. I don't I, believe it I'm was. I'm not sure it was, um, but it, it, it seemed to be touting going on telly um, as, as if it was going to be a single. So I don't know what happened with that, really. Maybe, I mean, it was a Graham lead. Maybe there was politics there as well. About yeah, who and got, I, don't think Eric, I don't think Eric had much to do with Don't Ask, if, if, I'm, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly. I mean, yeah. They were slightly going off. In their, and there, were, you know, there would have been politics involved in boosting. You know, that's, again, is one of the sort of... It's one of the symptoms of when things sour, these kind of issues rise to the surface where they would never have done... You know, of course. Definitely. Just a, a quick aside, Rick, um, you, you're probably aware that Paul and I had a, a wonderful experience in December where we, um, thanks to Peter Wadsworth at the Strawberry Archive, um, we unearthed a couple of 24-track tapes which we'd uh, baked overnight and, and took along to an analogue studio in Salford. Um, and obviously the stories of, of the Revlon Natural Wonder ad are, are, yeah, are kind of well known now. But the other tape that we baked was a, a really incredible find. It had two tracks from um, the 10 out of 10 days. One was uh, Tomorrow's World Today, very much a kind of a, a Graham project. But the other one was absolutely magnificent. It's the multi-tracks for Survivor. Uh, and that, I think, is one of the strongest tracks of the post uh, Kevin and, L and Lol years, to be honest. I think Survivor's wonderful. What, what, can, what do you remember of that one? Um, is it one that you admire as well? <laughs> you know, I'm rather ashamed to admit that it's been a long time since I heard that heard the album. I'd be quite interesting. I should have probably done some homework. <laughs> no, <that's laughs> no, right. no, 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 that's, 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 that's our, our job. job. That's our job. <laughs> no, but it, it, you know, it really is. It's 35 years or something, isn't it? Something out of a long time. Um, yeah, 40 years. So, yeah, 40 years. <laughs> I, I recognise them if I heard them, but I, yeah. I, I couldn't, couldn't even tell you. Don't worry, um, don't worry. So you had a tw 24 track, the 24 track of yes. that song. That, that just got left. There. I know Eric's been pretty conscientious about trying to look after the. I know he did a lot of uh, transferring multi tracks to digital, which is a smart thing to do. Definitely, definitely. But there are still things that got thrown out at the time, or just it's amazing when when Strawberry North and Strawberry South closed. You know, so a lot of the stuff was just was just chucked uh, or found its way. It was almost given away. So, and luckily, a lot of it, some of these tapes have come into the the realm of of Peter at the Strawberry Archive. So at least some of them are there for safekeeping. But a lot of it, a lot of the other stuff is lost, which is sad. Yeah. It happens, and of course, you know, magnetic tape. I mean, I've lost so much of the, you know, you probably know that David, bless him, he's been a powerhouse behind <laughs> trying, to, trying to assemble some of the years, the years of writing stuff that I've done, you know, since 
you know, since 10 TC. And uh, so much of the stuff that, that he is, I've now left in, in his capable hands. The multi-track, no, nearly all of them, actually, the multi-tracks are all dead and gone. You know, they're just, the tape right. just shed itself. Mm. <laughs> so, so you're left with the mixes at best, you know. But yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very transient medium, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, but it's a it's an awful lot of fun sticking them in the oven, uh, Rick, and, and and seeing if I they'll play. <laughs> well, I did know it. I had never had the balls to do it. Yeah, can you see? I, can you see this silver thing behind me? Yeah. Uh, uh, that that is the actual oven that we used to uh, <laughs> to bake the CC tape. Amazingly, How hot you have to get them. Oh, only um, we, uh, according to the recommendations, fifty-five about fifty-five degrees centigrade. So it's not, you know, you wouldn't burn a cake uh, at that temperature, no. uh, but you could certainly can do you, damage can to you, a can table. You can you I mean, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, yeah, it's hot, can, yeah. hot to the touch, but but not boiling, you know. <laughs> so there you go. If you've got anything that uh, you know knocking around the bottom of a cupboard, uh, Rick, oh, just send it, it over. Yeah, but I But I've, I've loved it today. I think it's been it's been so so interesting. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you for being so sort of honest and you know giving us some great answers. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and, and we've got we've got lots more that we'd love to um, to ask you, and uh, not least of which, you know, what it's like being in the current band. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll tie in nicely after we do all the other projects. Yeah, definitely. Detail, but Mark Three has been a very happy little family. Yeah. No, you, you can you can see that. It's been a joy, an absolute joy. Thanks so much. Pleasure, Sean. Um, all right, Rick, so take care and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. I look forward to it. Yeah, thanks Cheers a lot, Rick. See Bye, you soon. Jen. See ya. Bye. Bye. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening